0: The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. This morning's scripture reading comes from Luke 2, 8-20. through 20. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night.
1: And an angel
0: of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord... cloths, and lying in a manger. And suddenly there were there was with an angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to the Lord in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from in, them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord made known to us. And when the as it had been told to them. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Winston. Excellent job. Wow. I'm so proud of you, Winston. That's, uh, that's uh, Winston Westcott. And sometimes he actually uh, joins us in my uh, Sunday school class. And he asks the best questions well beyond his years. Well done. Well done, Winston. learic why aren't you wearing your pajamas today? These are my pajamas. (laughs) I sleep in these clothes. It's very formal, very formal in our house. Good morning and Merry Christmas. I'm the Director of Discipleship here at Christ Press. My name is Lee Eric Fesco, and it's a joy. It's a joy to be with you today, not just because it's Christmas, but because it's Christmas on the Lord's Day. This is the Lord's Day, the one in seven where people of God far and near gather together to celebrate the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Yes, even today. And this morning I get to share with you a story that underscores that thought, but this isn't a story that begins with once upon a time. When we say once upon a time, there's a thought that accompanies that phrase that seems to give a nod to the idea that we're dealing in fairy tales. You and I don't gather here today to celebrate fairy tales. The gospel writer Luke opens chapter two of his gospel with the phrase, in those days. In other words, real people, real places, real events. In those days, days. In those days, for me, this must have been the 1980s, late 1980s, I was in high school, probably not but a freshman or a sophomore. It was a challenging time for me. You see, I had a history of sometimes misbehaving, and when I would misbehave in school, sometimes that would be reflective in the grades that I brought home. My parents perceived there to be a direct connection between my behavior and my grades, It must have been pretty bad, not only for me, but for my brother as well. It must have been pretty bad because I don't remember my parents ever issuing a more severe threat. What was the threat? It was along the lines of, listen, you guys, you'd better shape up, and you'd better shape up fast. Because if you don't, my mom said, your father and I are going to cancel Christmas. We were a little more than a month away from Christmas, so it was drawing near, and excitement was starting to build. But have you ever heard of such a thing, canceling Christmas? I wasn't even aware that this was a possibility, let alone that my parents had the power to do so. How do you cancel Christmas? You can't cancel Christmas. Well, would they? Would they? Would they actually cancel Christmas? The warning was given... Would we take the warning seriously? Surely they won't cancel Christmas. Cancel Christmas for what? So, so our behavior was less than that of model citizens. You can't cancel Christmas for that. Cancel Christmas. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. What do you think of when you think of shepherds? Do you know what pops into my mind? My kids being in Christmas plays in preschools, we had to dress them up. You know the outfit, right? A brown colored robe of sorts, some sort of headdress affixed to their head with some sort of of band to keep it on there nice and tight. And of course, no shepherd's outfit is complete without a staff. How cute. But do you know what? In those days, shepherds weren't exactly model citizens. Sometimes shepherds were looked at as thieves, even. They tend to the flocks, and the flocks might wander off into someone else's property, and, and, well, that's fine. It's just a little bit of grass. It's not my grass. What do I care? In fact, when Jesus identified himself as the good shepherd, he was making a counter-comparison to the shepherds of the time who were just, as he said, hired hands. They really didn't care about the flock. They were bad shepherds. Not only that, they weren't the cleanest of people either. They would take turns sleeping out in the field with the animals, keeping watch over the flocks. Why? Because animals could come along and harm the flock. Or yes, even people would come along and steal the sheep. So it wasn't the most glamorous of jobs, nor was it highly respected. To be a shepherd wasn't something for which someone might aspire. It was a lowly Occupation. And isn't it interesting that it was to the eyes and ears of shepherds where our scene unfolds? Not before the important people of society, not before kings and queens, but this announcement, the announcement of the arrival of Christ, is made to shepherds out in the fields. This is the backdrop of Jesus' entry into the world. It would come down to grades. Grades were the metric my parents used to determine whether or not we were applying ourselves and behaving ourselves in school. If we got good grades, it meant we were doing what was asked of us, paying attention, turning in our assignments, studying over what would be tested. So if we got good grades, we were in the clear. If we didn't bring home good grades, well, this year, I guess there goes Christmas. But surely, I mean surely, they're not going to cancel Christmas. So the report cards come out. And like it is today, it really shouldn't be a surprise what you find on the report card. No one ever failed a class that didn't have some indication that things weren't going well. No one gets an F and says, what? I thought I was going to get an A. So though it shouldn't come as a surprise, it's a report card that serves as the messenger. It's the report card that is the means of delivering the good news or the bad news. Once it's on the report card, that's the definitive statement. That's the collective message from the teachers that tells my parents, yes, he took your threat of canceling Christmas seriously, or he thought you were bluffing. So what did the message say? What did the message say? And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. How about angels? What do you think of when you think of angels? Maybe like shepherds, you think of preschool plays. If you were to make an angel costume for a kid, you know the drill, all white, something flowy, wings, gotta have the wings, and of course, the halo. No outfit is complete without the hanger that you got from the dry cleaners that you've repurposed into a halo. And generally speaking, we have a positive image of angels. Angels are good, angels are nice, angels are helpful. If I told you to draw me an angel, it might even look like a chubby baby with wings. We all like the thought of angels, but can I tell you something? Angels aren't really depicted as such in the Bible. An angel, like a report card, is a messenger. In fact, angel is the transliteration of the Greek word angelos, which means messenger. These messengers are of God and they would bring with them, believe it or not, often some pretty strong words. It was angels who announced the destruction of Sodom in Genesis 19. In Exodus 23, an angel led the Israelites out of the wilderness and brought judgment to those who disobeyed. In Isaiah 37, it was the angel of the Lord who struck down 185,000 Assyrians. It was an angel. An angel did that. In the book of Revelation, it's angels who announce the seven trumpets of judgment against the unbelieving world. Angels in the Bible aren't always a welcome sight to behold. Quite frequently, they're accompanied by God's judgment. If they're chubby babies with wings, they're terrifying chubby babies with wings. Angels are agents of divine revelation. Even in Revelation 19, when the apostle John encountered an angel, he fell to his face in fear and bowed down in obeisance to him. Yet the angel stopped him, corrected him, don't worship me, I'm a created being just like you are. Worship God alone. The presence of an angel should immediately signal that we stand on holy ground in the presence of God. Whenever the unholy encounters the holy, we see it all throughout the Bible. The unholy reacts in fear. Isaiah said, woe is me, I am ruined. He calls a curse down upon himself. In the New Testament, when Peter followed the instruction of of Christ in deploying his fishing nets, he got just a glimpse, just a glimpse of the holiness of Christ. And he says to Jesus, depart from me. From a sinful man, O Lord, depart from me. So, you can see why the gospel writer tells us that the shepherds were filled with great fear when the angel of the Lord appeared to them. R.C. Sproul says nothing is more common for fallen creatures than to be terrified in the presence of God. So, I brought the report card home, filled with great fear, and my mom opened it. She didn't like what she saw and i could tell right away that this was going to be bad it was one of those moments where the parent doesn't need to say anything the expression on their face says it all as i stared at my mom you might say that i was sore afraid <laughs> you see the thought of canceling christmas it's just brutal Christmas is a time of year when a kid literally makes a list of all the good things they hope to get that year. And at least in our house, you put things on that list that you knew you wouldn't be able to get any other time of the year because this was truly a wish list. Things you wished for. And if there was one time a year you thought you might get it, it's Christmas. So, what does a canceled Christmas look like? Believe it or not, I'd experienced something similar in years before when my parents canceled my birthday party. That's another story in and of itself, but, but it carried with it a similar theme, theme. It was at a time when I was making a habit of coming home with a letter from the teacher. Here's how Leric misbehaved today. So my parents told me, your, your birthday is two weeks away, two weeks away. If you bring home another one of these letters between now and then, we're going to have to cancel your birthday party. I couldn't make it. I blew it. I blew it. I I, I misbehaved just a little bit too much on the class field trip. My birthday party was canceled. No party for me that year. So I knew my parents had it in them to do something like cancel Christmas. But would they actually? Yes, they did. No Christmas. And what that means was no gifts. I and my brother as well would receive no Christmas gifts that year. Nothing from my parents, or my grandparents, or relatives, or Santa Claus. No gifts. It was all a coordinated effort. (laughs) Christmas is canceled. You can only imagine what the shepherds were expecting at the sight of the angel. Again, a shepherd isn't looked upon with high regard in that day. If you were a shepherd, it's quite possibly you did something wrong to someone somewhere along the way. So at the sight of an angel, you probably thought, I'm in trouble. This is going to be bad. But the angel said, fear not, for behold, I bring you Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Did you hear that? There's a reason the angel is saying fear not because angels have a reputation to this point. But the angel is saying don't be afraid because I am here with good news. This is good news. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A savior. Don't move too quickly past that verse. Savior is a word that we've become accustomed to hearing in the modern church. But when the shepherds hear the word Savior, and then hear it paired together with the word Christ, I want you to realize actually what good news this is. When we see the word Christ in our Bible, we can read that as anointed one. The anointed one in no uncertain terms would be understood as the long-awaited Savior. The long-awaited Savior is here. This is the savior whom the prophets told us about. This is the savior whom God promised in 2 Samuel seven sixteen, a descendant of David who would sit on the throne and reign eternally over Israel. This is good news. But you also have to set this against the backdrop of silence. There hasn't been a prophet of God to speak to his people for over 400 years. So the people of God waited, and they waited And they waited, and they waited for 400 years. They knew nothing but silence. But now, now the heavens open up and the angel of the Lord brings good news. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what longing ears had wished they could hear for their whole life and their parents wished they could hear and their grandparents before them and their parents and their parents and their parents parents before them. And now they are being told the Savior is here. Christ, the anointed one, the Savior is here. But even the shepherds that night, though they heard it first, didn't fully understand the height and the length and the depth and the gravity of what they were being proclaimed or what was being proclaimed. Did they understood what sort of savior they needed? If they longed for a savior like David, that would be good news if he arrived, but that would mean a return to the glory days where Israel was the, the superpower. But the extraordinary gift of God was so much more than even what they expected. With each passing day, as Christmas drew near, my brother and I would stare at the Christmas tree. Yes, Christmas was canceled, so what good is a Christmas tree that doesn't have Christmas presents underneath it? Normally by this time, there's a a tree skirt replete with gifts. We'd see gifts, we'd see the name tags on those gifts, and we'd shake the boxes. Because shaking the gifts would tell you a lot about what might be inside the box, This one's heavy, no way it's a sweater. But not this year. There'll be no boxes to shake and no anticipation to be generated from it. It was truly the worst Christmas ever. I don't know when the tradition started, but our family adopted the practice of opening all of our Christmas gifts on Christmas Eve. I think it was my mom's way of reserving Christmas as the day to remember the birth of Jesus and my dad's way of getting to sleep in a little bit on Christmas morning. When this Christmas Eve rolled around with no gifts under the tree, what was there to do? I don't remember exactly, but I imagine my brother and I just sitting on the sofa. Just sitting there, not doing anything, just sitting there. Not watching TV, not reading a book, not even speaking to one another, just sitting. Sitting. With every other kid in the neighborhood bouncing off the walls in eager anticipation of Christmas, what joy could we find that night? No sense in trying to make the most of it. Let's just ride it out. Sitting here on the sofa, soon enough it will all pass. Just then my parents walked in the room. They saw our long faces and they pitied us. I don't know what they were thinking, but I'm sure they'd not ever seen such a pitiful sight. So my mom called us over and had us sit by the tree. You know the one, the one with no presents underneath it. Then she said, you know, your father and I couldn't let Christmas come and go and not get you at least a little something. And then she presented to each of us a small wrapped box, about So big, so thick. What was in the box? What was in the box of such diminutive size? And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Here the shepherds just received an angelic announcement of the Savior, the Messiah. He's here. And how would the Savior of God's people arrive? In a package about so big. Well, I can only assume that God's people who awaited the Savior would intuitively know that one day the Savior would have to be born as a baby. Or did they? Would the Savior be born of man or just come down from heaven above? And to that, the creator of, of, of the universe responds with yes. A baby, Yes. Of heaven, yes. Look what's presented here before the meager audience that night. No earthly king had ever received such a regal, heavenly, angelic birth announcement like Jesus. The Lord peeled open the heavens and the scores of angels for the first time, sang Gloria in excelsis Deo, though likely not in Latin. As they announced to the world the long-awaited Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he's been born. But then again, Jesus was born wrapped in swaddling cloths, not the robe of a king. The infant king was not placed in a plush royal cradle, but in an animal's feeding bowl. The angels didn't make their announcement in royal courts of the powerful, but to the lowest of the lowly, to the shepherds. 400 years of silence finally broken with the sound of a crying infant. After the angelic proclamation, the shepherds went to Bethlehem to see for themselves, and there, along with Mary and Joseph, they found the Savior lying in a manger. What did they see? Yes, they saw a baby, but what they saw was so much more than a baby. The Apostle Paul tells us in Colossians 1.19, For in him all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. This wasn't a version of God. This wasn't a smaller size of God. This wasn't something that was like God. It was the fullness of God. It was the word made flesh now breathing our air. Diminutive in form, yet the fullness of God. And though their gazing eyes looked for a man, a savior who would restore Israel to a rightful place, he was so much more heaven intersecting with earth, God in the flesh. You see, the biggest problem facing God's people, it wasn't a military one. It's not a political one. When they awaited a savior, they awaited a savior who would free them from the Roman rule and oppression, but the Lord wasn't interested in freeing them from Rome. He was interested in freeing them from the biggest oppressor they would ever know, sin and death. Ever since the garden, when man put his stake in the ground and proclaimed his intention to sit in the place where only God could sit, We've been under sin's oppression. Ever since Adam, his sin was passed along to his son, and his son, and his son, and to his son after that, and to every son and daughter that has ever come thereafter. Every single person who has walked this earth has fallen under this curse, every last one of them, until now. Until this moment that Luke describes for us in his gospel, this one, This little one who lies in the manger is the first one since Adam who doesn't fall under sin's curse because he was conceived not of Adam, but of the Holy Spirit. And so this one, this little tiny baby, the one on which the shepherds placed their stare, is the promised one, the one that was promised all the way back in Genesis 15. That from the offspring of the woman would come the one who would bruise the head of the serpent. This is him. This is him. Born of man, born of heaven. Only this little one in the manger could be in the form of God, yet take on the form of a servant. And in so doing, bear the burden of man's sin and give him the inheritance of Christ. This is God's extraordinary gift. As I held the small box in my hands... It almost didn't matter what was in it. I I couldn't have explained it to you back then, but I can explain it to you now. I almost didn't care what was in the box. I was just glad to get it. Why? Because the same hand that gave me discipline, the same hand that gave me judgment, also gave me grace. In Genesis 3, the curse is pronounced for man, but do you know what else is pronounced in Genesis 3? God's grace. I unwrapped the small box, as did my brother his, and in it was something curious. It was indeed small, it was a wallet, a billfold. And I'm not kidding you when I tell you it didn't occur to me to look inside the wallet. It really didn't occur to me as I felt such a sense of relief that my parents didn't actually cancel Christmas. So I didn't think to look inside the wallet. But my brother did. I saw my brother's face. His eyes were as big as Frisbee's. Yes, there was something inside the wallet. How much, you ask? Well, that really doesn't matter. But I want you to understand something. My family was not a wealthy family. For most of my childhood, I understand my parents, I understood my parents living from paycheck to paycheck. So to see what they put inside these wallets, I understood it was costly. I understood it was a lot. I understood it to be a sacrifice. And I also understood it meant I had enough to get every item on my Christmas list that year. Dumbfounded, I just stared. And I played right into their hands as if God himself scripted the lesson. I distinctly remember looking at my mom and asking, What did I do to deserve this? Nothing. You see, son, this is what grace is. It's not something you earned. It's not something you deserve. But you get it anyway because God is good. And this is the miracle of the Savior's birth. It's grace upon grace. The infinite, wrapped in such a small package and given to you and me, not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it, but simply because God is good. We tried to take our seat on God's throne and we broke the world. We opened the door to sin's curse and it came in. That's what we did, but this is the miracle of God's grace. Again, in Genesis three, you can read about the fall of man, but in the very same chapter, you can read of God's grace. His remedy for sin's curse that was put into place, not in response to sin, but from all eternity. From all eternity, the Lord promised an answer to sin's curse, and this is how he did it. He gave us his grace, a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And through this child, the grace that you would receive? Peace. Not not just peace on earth, but peace among those with whom he is pleased, He is pleased with you. We are at peace with him. Not because of what you did. Not because of of what you did. You have favor because this little infant would grow up, bear the burden of your sin, and then drape you in his righteousness. That is the extraordinary gift of God. Merry Christmas. Pray with me. Dear Father, thank you for your Son. Thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, the infinite, taking on the form of a servant, humbling himself to give us the most extraordinary gift of grace that we don't deserve. Help us to be forever grateful for your gift to us, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray.